Hello, Kevin Davis here, pastor of Woodland French Church. If you've been tuning in for any amount of time, I think you've gotten the general idea that I have a sabbatical, and that sabbatical has started officially October um, October 10th was the first Sunday that I'm gone, which is today. Um, if you did not know, Woodland French Church is a small church, and I am basically the tech crew. So all these sermons getting recorded on my Facebook and recorded audio for here, uh, that's all done by me in the service. I'm wearing many hats on every Sunday. Uh, because of that, nobody is around on the Sundays that I am gone to record the speakers, which I am sad because they, I had some good speakers, do have some good speakers lined up, and I'm happy for everybody who comes to Woodland Friends physically and gets to enjoy that. But for me, just to keep uh, our audio podcast in, I've thought for the next few Sundays, um, I'll be releasing some sermons from the vault. We have a limited capacity on our website, so some of you might not know, but sometimes the older sermons are every now and then trashed, um, deleted off the website uh, so we can make room as more sermons come along. Uh, Because of that, I do have some old sermons I'd like to release. Uh, This first Sunday, we're going to be releasing a sermon from my Mark series. And this sermon was preached uh, January uh, 29th, 2017. It's called Jesus Commands Forgiveness. It's one of the few sermons that I actually have a video, and actually the video um, is the first thing you hear. You'll just hear the audio soundtrack of the video I was playing for the sermon. So the scripture is Mark 11, 25, and 26. I uh, hope you enjoy this first sermon in my sabbatical uh, vault series just for the audio uh, folks here. Investigating the carnage here in Lancaster. Good afternoon. My name is Colonel Jeffrey B. Miller. I'm the Commissioner of the Pennsylvania State Police. With me is Mr. Don Tataro, the Lancaster County District Attorney. We'll also have uh, two other staff here. there and walked around the fence. The first thing I saw were the the troopers that came to greet me. Some of them had blood all over their their clothing, over their uniforms. uh, So you knew that it was was not going to be a a good scene to, to survey. The call came in from a school teacher stating a male entered the school and had taken hostages. He apparently told the kids to line up uh, in front of the blackboard. He began to tie the females, the, the children's uh, feet together. He uh, then took the, the boys, there was exactly 15 boys there between 6 and 13. 
He let them leave. Within 20 minutes of that call, we had troopers surrounding the school. They were just breaking down the front door, um, and that's when the, the shooter looked and saw that the trooper was, was coming through the window and was going to kill him. He, he turned the, uh, the gun on himself, but he had already shot every single one of those girls. about 11.15 when we found out about what's going on. We didn't know if she's in a hospital somewhere or if she's at the school because we knew there were some at the school that had died. Those five hours uh, were a very long time to not know whether our daughter has survived or not. Families were obviously very distraught, not knowing where their children were, were their children alive, dead. They didn't know. We didn't know who was who. The girls all wear the plain dresses. They don't have any, they don't have any ID on them. And they had things that children wear in public schools. I mean, even these, the young ones now have cell phones and and backpacks and things, and these these children did not have anything like that. There was there was no way to uh, try, even begin to try to identify them. We were so ready to find out where she's at, if she survived. Um, we just wanted to know. The hardest part was coming home and telling the ones at home that she's gone. We have identified the suspect. Uh, we have a positive ID on him. His name is Charles Carl Roberts IV. He's 32 years of age, and he resides in Bart, Pennsylvania, which is very close to here. He is a uh, truck driver. It was a very, very difficult place and a very desperate place. Um, and um, in the middle of that situation, uh, 8, 9 o'clock that evening, the Amish neighbor walked in. And um, you know, one of the things that I share with, with people who have been able to, to talk with is that, you know, in a sense, Grace walked in the door. Um, and with Grace walking in the door, Hope walked in the door. Um, and we didn't know it at the time, but that's what happened. That was the effect of him coming and saying, Chuck, uh, specifically Charlie's dad, you know, we will forgive you. To me, when I think of, of forgiving it doesn't mean that you have forgotten what he's done, but it means that you have released unto God the one who has offended you.
and you have given up your right to seek revenge. I place the situation in God's hand and just accept that this is the way it was. And I choose not to hold it against Charles because it really doesn't help me anything anyway. told us, invited us to go to Charlie's birth. And first I said, nah, I just don't think I could. I don't think I want to. But till Saturday morning came around when we decided, okay, yeah, we want to go. And I came home from the burial thinking, I was so thankful to God that I don't need to make a judgment on his soul. And there was just a a wash of peace. For me, it was like unloading baggage. It was just like, wow, I don't need to deal with this. This is God's territory. Can we stand? honor of reading the Lord's Word today will be in Mark chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. And some of your manuscripts, or some of your Bibles might not have verse 26, but it's just an implant of the same exact verses in Matthew. So, Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 25. Jesus says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive, you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, who is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we come before you hoping to practice the things that you tell us to do. You say you, we are your friends if we do what you command. So, Father, we thank you that you would send your son Jesus to die for the sins that we have committed and that you would forgive us. Holy Spirit, we ask for that power to forgive others. Father, we thank you for the witness of what we saw in this video of forgiveness. We pray that that impact would leave an impact on our souls as we think about those around us that we may need to forgive. Father, if it will be hard for many of us today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our words, speak words to our hearts that would respond in obedience, acceptance of what you would ask us to do, not because you're asking us, but because you're commanding us, and you have every right to. You are our Lord. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have to admit, personally, that I never thought about too much or put too much interest into the idea of really what forgiveness looks like until I have this peculiar hobby of studying this peculiar people, the Amish. (laughs) I have a few books on them, and I got a big book. I really studied every aspect of their lives and 
it came to forgiveness, and it talked about this story in Nickel Mines. I, some of you may have remember when it happened. It's 2006. I was 17. I may have saw a news clipping, but that was about all. But I bought a book a while ago specifically on that incident, um, just the Amish response and what that looked like. I bought another book from the shooter's wife, how she felt when Amish people came and visited her and uh, said that they forgive her. And uh, I really began to consider the idea that I've personally overlooked and I've underemphasized in the gospel life of following Jesus this idea of forgiveness. It seems so blatant and obvious to me in the Bible whenever I began to think about it. It is very paramount and central to the gospel story because the gospel is that you and I are forgiven. <laughs> That's the good news. So I don't know why it never carried much weight with me. I think part of the reason is, is I'm personally very laid back. And in the words of great theologian and cartoon character Sid the Sloth, <laughs> I'm too lazy to hold a grudge. <laughs> I mean, I, I do wrestle with hearing criticism and bad words, but about a day goes by, I shrug it off and forget about it, say whatever, and just move on. Some people I know, though, holding grudges and being bitter is like their favorite pastime. <laughs> so wherever you are at in the bitterness to easygoing range, I pray that this study on forgiveness, reorients our focus on the preeminence that Lord Jesus gives forgiveness in the Christian life. Before we trudge any more, though, out into this forest of forgiveness, if you will, and look around, let's center ourselves where we're at in the scriptures and how we got here in Mark. Some of you last week, if you were here, you may have wondered, we stopped seemingly in the middle of a paragraph. And uh, last week we read about Jesus going to Jerusalem and condemning the temple. But before and after Jesus did that, Mark told us that Jesus was busy cursing a fig tree. <laughs> but how that was the symbol of the fruitless ministry that was taking place at the temple. But as Jesus comes back from the temple, Peter asks about the fig tree. He says, wow, the fig tree that you cursed it withered to the ground. Jesus really pays no mind to Peter's words. Instead, it seems like he starts giving pithy religious statements that really has no anything to do with Peter's words. He says, have faith in God and pray, don't doubt, and things like that. But one of the things I said last week was that I think Jesus was kind of saying this to wake Peter up. Because Peter was focused on the fig tree and how Jesus miraculously withered it away. But Jesus, for him to immediately to start to say, have faith in God, was in essence reorienting Peter's focus to the proper place. Not the miracles that Jesus did, not the fig tree, but on God himself. Similarly, the Jews, they can whine about the temple being condemned, or they can reorient their focus back to God himself, to have faith in God for salvation and not the temple. To come to God for worship, not the temple. But then, he, then Jesus says, whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive. What Mark often does as he tells stories, consider up here, the top here is Mark's narrative, and the bottom here is chronological history. Mark is interested in one thing. He wants to get the point across that Jesus is the good news. What he often does is he takes opportunities, whether it be by a narrative or a sermonette from Jesus, and he interjects material that may not be chronological, but it is related. 
Now, some of you hear this, you might be saying, so you're saying that Mark didn't write actual factual history. That's not what I'm saying. I will say, no, Mark's writing history, he's just not writing it chronologically. And we live in the 21st century, enlightened, westernized America, and we might want chronological history, unmuddied material, delivered to us as it happened moment by moment. But again, we must realize that Mark is writing, first of all, for theological and persuasive purposes, to declare the kingdom of God. And his focus is getting that good news, that message across, in an organized, understandable fashion. It may not meet the standards of 21st century historians. So we can see, as we read Mark all together in chapters 10 and 11 and 12, we know that Mark, narrative-wise, he's using this moment of Jesus talking about prayer to then move into forgiveness. Matthew follows a similar pattern in Matthew 6. That is where the Lord's Prayer is. And then the next two verses after the Lord's Prayer is the same verses that we're studying today in Mark. So, on prayer, Jesus then states, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So, and whenever you stand praying, that is the usual posture that Jews would take to pray, standing. Jesus says to forgive, well, who? And he says, if you have anything against anyone. He says, so in other words, Jesus is saying, forgive anyone of anything. The idea of forgive here is there's many words, such as send away, or release, remit, leave alone, permit, let go, give up. Think about those words, we might get a bigger idea of everything that forgiveness is. Before we hone in on this idea of forgive, let's not forget that Jesus is saying, when you stand, pray. The idea is, is that Jesus is saying, if you come before me, you must come before me with a forgiving heart, bearing no grudges. We think about Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. Jesus says there, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. I want you to see here the astonishing commandment that God is giving. A lot of us know we are to forgive people. A lot of us know we are to love God and love people. But I wonder, if we're honest, a lot of us pride ourselves on being what we think to be excellent God-lovers, oh, and and well, we're we're working on the loving people part. (laughs) I'm speaking to myself because if I'm not careful, I have a tendency to pray, read the Bible, listen to sermons, lose myself in studying, thinking about diving into God. But God tells us throughout his word that his concern for us is also to be concerned for others and with others. God calls his people into community. So what's amazing here is that God is saying, don't even pretend to praise me in this manner if you have a problem with your fellow man. You hear that? I see all of life as worshiping God, but in essence, God is saying, don't come to church, don't go through the motions, don't say, I'm going to go to the worship service because I love God, while you have an issue, a break, in fellowship with your fellow man. Do you see that? Do you hear that? Not just church, though, but back in Mark in our passage, Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. 
I wonder if any of you ever do this. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever sat down and I began my prayers and then I remember things aren't right with that person. And so right then and there, do I go and call them? Or do I take the car ride or do I walk over wherever they may be? Jesus says that if there is strife between you and your fellow man, listen to this, it'll sound upside down and inside out. But Jesus is in essence saying that relationship with your fellow man is to take precedence before you come before me. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, don't pray, don't come to church until you resolved that issue with your fellow man. Oh, Lord, but they really ticked me off. <laughs> Lord, uh, I'm going to sin if I see them. <laughs> but they just don't reconcile. I just can't deal with that right now. I just need a little bit more time at church. It'll be okay. Or is the truth is that you want to stay busy out here because you don't want to confront and realize what's in here. You see how big of an issue this is. Now, I wonder if some of us would want to balk at this. I wonder if some of us say, well, you know, Lord Jesus just doesn't have all the facts here. Uh, they don't know the circumstances. This part of Scripture, this teaching is maybe just sparse and few throughout the Scriptures. Maybe it's not that big of an issue, but quite the contrary. We finish verse 25. We read it all together. Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Excuse the pun, but forgive me. <laughs> this sounds like Jesus is putting a condition, a contingency on salvation, which is kind of a big deal. Jesus says, you don't forgive others, I don't forgive you. Forgiveness is, as one of my commentaries stated, a feature of faith that most perfectly epitomizes God's nature. Vince read for us that familiar passage from Matthew this morning, uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And we see the kind of relationship that God, his people, and forgiveness plays. How can we expect to understand what forgiveness is and how we have been forgiven if we don't do it ourselves, if we don't practice it ourselves? See, to be a Christian and to be a disciple, period, is to be a forgiving person. And listen to this. If we are unforgiving, then we are unforgiven. We are unforgiving, then we are unforgiven. Verse 26, the exact same as Matthew 6.15, clarifies it completely, saying, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, who is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. wonder if some of you bristle, because you don't like the idea of there being a condition or a contingency on salvation. Well, let me just reorient your thinking a little, because this really is not news. Because what Jesus is saying, quite simply, is that unforgiveness is sin. That's what Jesus is saying. We recognize this, that if we go to the grave thinking that we are justified in our sins, or proud and we're quite certain that something that the Spirit has been convicting us as sin, and we think, hey, Holy Spirit, you're wrong, and I'm right here, 
Well, then we go to the grave blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We go to the grave declaring that, hey, we're Lord and Jesus is not. We go to the grave unredeemed. If we do not forgive, we do not understand that we need saving by God in the first place. It's really that simple. How can we even fathom that we, as created beings, have rejected or sinned against Almighty God and Creator, and have provoked Him to wrath? How can we say that we understand that we deserve God's wrath, so we have relied upon and we put our trust in His Son to forgive us of our sins? How do we truly understand that massive, earth-changing reality if we cannot in turn forgive our fellow man for that argument and harsh words said three years ago? We don't understand forgiveness if we can't bring ourselves to forgive those other ones of the small things. Furthermore, in comparison to the life-altering, eternity-affecting truth of God's Son's death on the cross for our sins, the resurrection and his offer of forgiveness, in comparison to the cross, everything is small stuff. I'm not saying it's necessarily easy stuff, but it's small stuff. See, provoking God Almighty to wrath and being forgiven of it seems like a big issue in the bigger scheme of things than even murder and the loss of life. I'm not saying that the latter is not tragic. I'm not saying that it's easy to cope with. It's just not as big as what happens on the cross. Does that make sense? Now that we've looked over these two verses... I really want to spend the remainder of our time defining real well what forgiveness is and applying it to our lives by the grace of the God and help of His Holy Spirit. First, let's consider what forgiveness is not. I take these nine ideas from a pastor that I listen to from time to time, so I'm not plagiarizing. I just told you I take it from a pastor that I listen to. First of all, forgiveness is not denying approving or diminishing sin that is committed against us. We recognize this in our relationship with Jesus, that even though he forgives us, there are consequences that remain half the time, if not most of the time. The truth remains that we've committed the sin. The truth remains that though our Father forgives us, he nevertheless realizes that what we've done was sin, and he disapproves of the sin that we've done. The sin is not somehow diminished, it's just forgiven. So it is with people that we forgive. For the Amish parents to forgive the shooter of this sin, that definitely did not deny, approve, or diminish what he did. For you to seek forgiveness of someone who has wronged you will not deny, approve, or diminish of the sin that they've done. Secondly, forgiveness is not naivety. If you read the Bible... I don't know about you, maybe this is very telling of your pastor, but I don't think we live in a glass-half-full type world after I read the Bible. I'm not saying I look at the world dark, depressing, and gloomy, but I realize that there is something profoundly wrong in the world. <laughs> and it has affected everybody. And to be forgiving is not to say, I'll pretend to be unaffected. It's recognizing that the evil has affected you, but like your father, that you're made in the image of, you're choosing to forgive Thirdly, forgiveness is not enabling sin. To forgive does not mean that you pat someone on the back and say, hey, you made a boo-boo, that's okay. 
Paul writes that God's grace is not a license to sin. This is why when we seek forgiveness from God, sadly many people go out and commit those same sins that they just sought forgiveness for, but that's not God's intent to forgive us when he forgives us. See, forgiveness and enabling are two different things. Next, forgiveness is not waiting for someone to acknowledge sin, apologize, and repent. Sometimes forgiveness is a one-sided affair. There are people, maybe on your mind right now, that you know that maybe you've already asked for forgiveness, but you're feeling guilty because they haven't received you. That's not your fault. If you've made amends from your side, what else can you do? See, the passage we looked at in Matthew earlier continues on in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus there is emphasizing for his disciples to come to terms with those whom they have strife with at all costs, no matter what. Paul, talking about the marks of a true Christian, says in Romans 12, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we know the truth is in forgiveness that sometimes it's just not possible on their part. Sometimes you will do all you can to extend the hand of forgiveness, and you will be rejected. At that point, all you can do is no more, and should do no more, and should leave it up to God. Does that make sense? Fifthly, forgiveness is not forgetting about sin committed against us. We read in the Bible, specifically Jeremiah, and then quoted in Hebrews, that God will remember our sins no more. What is Jeremiah and Hebrews and God saying about this? That God has a bad memory? I mean, suppose somebody offends you, and God forgives them, and you forgive them. So is this passage saying that unlike God, you're going to have a better memory? You're going to remember what they did? Well, no, we... We see the idea that God is, it's not the idea that God has a bad memory, but rather he is choosing to not use my sins against me. I'm never going to come to God and ask for something, and he's not going to say, I would, but you remember that sin I forgive you for. Not today, buddy. That, that's what God does not do. He remembers our sins no more. See, forgiveness is not blind or stupid. <laughs> Sixthly, Forgiveness is not dying emotionally and no longer feeling the pain of transgression. I wonder if, if some of you wrestle with guilt because you thought you forgave someone, but it didn't make the pain go away. We know that an imperfect world, that sights, sounds, people, thoughts, are constantly going to remind us of sin. That's why we need to pray for God to use whatever the emotions and pain that the problem has caused for his glory and our good and the good of others. I don't know if you remember, but 
that act of forgiveness that the Amish did got them a lot of media. Seventhly, forgiveness is not a one-time event. Sometimes we know that your anger is rekindled, and your pride and your sense of entitlement and fairness is altered in what needs to happen. You need to forgive again. The same person for the same sin. Maybe you've retaliated against them using the sin they've committed, so you need to verbally forgive them again and ask for forgiveness from them as well. Maybe if it's someone who has not looked to reconcile with you, even though you tried and their stubbornness is rubbing off on you, making you bitter, you need to forgive them again just for yourself. Eighthly, we need to differentiate between two different things. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness isn't blind or stupid. If you had to forgive someone for robbing your house, you can forgive and not trust them. If someone did danger to your family, such as the situation at Nickel Mines, you can forgive and then make the necessary precautions to prevent a situation happening in the future. You can forgive someone for gossiping behind your back and then keep them at a distance. Why? Because you're being bitter and unforgiving? No, because you're being smart and guarding your heart. Reconciliation may follow after forgiveness the same day, two days, a few months, maybe a few years, or maybe never. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Paul says, again in Romans 12, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It suggests that though we forgive someone, just like when God forgives us, there still may be consequences. The same is true that we forgive someone knowing full well that there are consequences for their actions that are out of our control. The sins that's been done, maybe a distance is between two people. The sin that's been done, maybe sent someone to jail. Which brings us to our last point of what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not neglecting justice. I could be wrong, but I believe unforgiveness, like most sins, comes from a primary sin of pride and self-righteousness. As in, I won't forgive you, (laughs) you've done the most incredible wrong, and you need to pay, and you're going to pay me. That's where unforgiveness comes from. Jesus told us to forgive others no matter how high the debt. If he forgave us for millions of dollars, we can forgive others for $20. If he forgave us for provoking God Almighty to wrath, we can forgive others of anything that they might see, that we might see as big, knowing full well that justice will be paid and dispensed by God Almighty himself. Whether it be in this life or the life to come. Whether it be a criminal activity that they did, and so providentially criminal justice might be done. Maybe it's a sin that they broke, but it didn't break the laws of society. It will be dealt with at judgment. I've given you nine different definitions of what forgiveness is not. I hope you know that I am a sinner. (laughs) And I know that we like to give ourselves leeway. And so maybe we look at these nine things and we think, well, maybe it's all right if I do feel this way. (laughs) Maybe I can carry a a grudge, or maybe I can do this. If these definitions have somehow enabled you to sin, let's consider what forgiveness is. One author describes forgiveness as a particular form of grace that always involves an offense, an offender, and a victim. When forgiveness happens, a victim forgoes the right to revenge, 
and commits to overcoming bitter feelings toward the wrongdoer. Some people who have studied forgiveness extend this a step further, contending that positive feelings toward the offender, feelings such as love and compassion, are also essential to forgiveness. I've given you nine things that what forgiveness is not. For some reason, that pastor I took it from didn't have anything I had saying about what forgiveness is, so this is all from me. <laughs> Here are six things that I believe what forgiveness is. First and foremost, forgiveness is a choice. If Jesus and the scriptures needed to command it, <laughs> we know that it must be a choice. It would be great if it came natural. We realize that at the end of the day that you and I, though, need to choose to forgive. And what I will say is that the fruits of the Spirit, told to us by Paul in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, naturally should probably lend itself into a forgiving heart. But forgiveness is always a choice. Secondly, forgiveness is giving up our own sense of justice. I'm sure many Christians might agree, many Christian men. I don't know how many times I've heard men particularly say about what rapists deserve. It usually involves capital punishment. I'm not here to argue about that sort of justice. I'm just here to talk about who is the righteous judge, and it's not you, and it's not me. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. What this means is that you and I are to never take justice into our own hands. We are to give it into the hands of God, and in the providential ways, he dispenses justice, again, whether it be the social courts over us, or supernaturally and directly by his hand. Thirdly, forgiveness is peace. Romans 12:18, Paul says to live peaceably with all. This is within the wider context of forgiving others. Forgiveness is peace because it means that the deed is done. There are no more words to be said. You've let go and you've given it to God. There's no need on your part to respond any further. There's no need to dispense of any justice. There's no need to rehash it again. All is well between you and the one who offended you. Why? Because you're choosing to give up your own sense of justice. Does that make sense? Forgiveness is peace. Fourthly, forgiveness is loving and praying for enemies. And I think this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets really hard for people. Because if we're all honest, we know this phrase. We've heard it off the lips of Jesus. We read it in the Bible. But it seems like, and I could be wrong, but it seems like when our enemies are in front of us in our real life, we tend to forget this truth. Do we not? Right? It's like our heads and our hearts are angry towards this one person, whether we know them personally or we know them publicly. And for some reason, we never connect this passage, this truth, loving and praying for our enemies, with our enemies. <laughs> right? Because surely Jesus is not talking about ISIS when he says that. Surely Jesus is not talking about whatever president that we've recently have that you hate, <laughs> or any political opponent. Jesus wouldn't mean that person, would he? Surely Jesus isn't talking about our neighbor who ripped us off or trespassed us and stole or threatened us. Jesus wasn't talking about him or her. For the Amish, was Jesus talking about the shooter who lined up their kids and executed their girls? For the Amish, Jesus was talking about that man. For you and me, I pray that the Holy Spirit brings front and center your most hated enemy. Hear me out, your most hated enemy. 
so that you can love that person and pray for that person. Which brings me to my next point. Forgiveness is hard. (laughs) I know what I'm saying is hard. I've actually preached a similar sermon once, talking about peace and not retaliating, and I had a few people approach me because they took argument. But guess what they were arguing about? At the end of the day, it wasn't my preaching. It wasn't my interpretation. It was just the text. (laughs) The very word of God. Why? Because it's hard. (laughs) We think we deserve justice here and now, and guess what? You could be right. The The person could be wrong. They could not want to reconcile. They could be obstinate. But still, what does God say? What does God say? Forgive them. Love them. Pray for them. Doesn't mean you will reconcile. Doesn't mean you're enabling their sin. Doesn't mean that you have to wear a matching sweatshirts and be best buddies. But nevertheless, forgive them as hard as, hard as it is. Lastly, the very point of our text today, forgiveness is necessary. Or you could put commanded. Firstly, it's a choice. But if you profess to be a Christian... Hear this, if you profess to be a child of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master, says it's necessary. He says, forgive if you want to be forgiven by God. Forgiveness is necessary as hard as it is, as ugly as it is, as wrong as it feels in your three-pound fallen brain. (laughs) The Redeemer says to us, forgive that person, love that person, pray for that person. In fact, Jesus says, before you even pray to me, go and forgive. So at the end of the day, am I saying, hey, forgive because it's the right thing to do? Am I saying, forgive because it makes life 100% better? Am I saying, forgiveness scores you brownie points with God? No. At the end of the day, Jesus Christ, your Lord, my Lord, the God we serve, Jesus commands forgiveness. But I disagree, and they're very ugly, and I have my rights. Jesus Christ commands forgiveness. But you don't know the whole story. They started it. It was a very unfair, stupid thing they did. But Jesus Christ commands forgiveness. Why? Friend, hear me out. Because forgiveness is not about you. Forgiveness is not about the person that offended you. Forgiveness is about Christ. It's about Christ and what he commanded. It's about God who found it within himself to forgive you for the sins that you and I have committed against our Creator and Master and Lord. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 1.19 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it makes me wonder, what will forgiveness do to your offender? Sometimes they won't reconcile. I've read a few books about this happening at Nickel Mines. A lot of good things happen simply because they forgive a man for a very atrocious sin. So because our Father chooses to freely forgive, so must we. His sons and daughters made in His image are to have a heart of forgiveness, not because people might deserve our forgiveness, but because you and I didn't deserve God's forgiveness in the first place. But in His love and in His grace and in His mercy, He forgave us through Jesus. So we forgive others as well. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of things in your word that is hard to obey. Because we live in a fallen world, and 
We seem to forget all the sins that we commit while we're focusing on the sins committed against us. Father, at the end of the day, we can look for all the excuses we can, but you simply command forgiveness. As hard as that is for some of us, I pray that today, right now, that these people would take your word at face value, at plain value, and as they leave today, head to where they need to go to forgive that person. Father, many of these people may have people that they have chosen not to forgive, and that person has passed away. Would you give them assurance to know that you can still do a work in their heart, and they can forgive that person, even though that that person can never hear the forgiveness? So, Father, I just pray that however this looks for any of us, that we would be obedient to what you're asking us to do. But lastly, we thank you for the greatest act of forgiveness, that is, your forgiveness of us and our sins. That you would give your Son to die for our sins so that you could forgive us. Father, we love you and we thank you for that. We ask and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.